This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Did you know how hard it can be to avoid getting tricked when you're buying a dog? My name is Alex Schumann, and I usually cover politics, but I turn my attention to a strange new crime, a secretive businesswoman accused of laundering puppies like drug money. Consumers thought they got a rescue, but instead supported cruelty. They're just in it to churn out puppies and make a dollar. You can subscribe to Smokescreen Puppy Kingpin on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that loves the smell of diesel fuel in the morning. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain. What can I say? I have expensive taste. It's good to be seen. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are featuring Tropical Beer Hug by the lovely folks over at Goose Island Beer Company. This big 9.9% Imperial IPA is super juicy and bursting with tropical flavors. Garage grade 4 out of 5 bottle caps. Just the thing for a summer swing in the hammock. And here's some of our friends helping us out with the swing of things. First up, we have a cheers to Terry in Springfield, Virginia. And a big shout out to Brendan and Brentwood, Essex, UK. Next, we go up north, Captain, for a cheers to our friend Emily in Fort McMurray, Canada. And a big we like your jib to John in Indian Trail, North Carolina. Here's a cheers to Chad in New Liskard, Ontario. And last but certainly not least, we have Lindsay from St. Charles, Missouri. Everyone that we just mentioned, well, they went to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and they helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, Beer Run. Make sure you go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. It helps the show immensely. 
And Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. June 26th, 2003. The setting? It's summertime at a state park. Designated campsites are full of campers enjoying some outdoor R&R. The lush green scenery is matched by the peace and tranquility of the environment. For campers escaping their busy lives, it is quiet and relaxing. But then... At the break of dawn, the peace and tranquility of the campground is shattered. The body of a woman lies at the bottom of a rocky ravine. Some kind of monster tossed her there like trash. Her corpse rolling and rolling down the steep grade until it comes to a stop for all to see. This was no accidental death. Not an overdose, not a hit and run. No, this woman was the victim of a brutal homicide. But how did she get there, where she was found? One minute her killer was pushing her down the slope, and the next he was gone in the night. The only clue to his identity, the big rig pulling away on the interstate above. And as its lights disappeared into the night, So did any clues as to who killed this young woman. This is the unsolved homicide case of Kristen Alice Schmidt and the trucker murders. Warning, there's a killer on the road. And this is True Crime Garage. Newspapers from La Grande, Oregon blared that a body was found by a camper at Hillgard Junction State Park. This was on June 26, 2003. The location? This park is right next to Interstate 84, where it intersects with Highway 244 near the Grand Ronde River. The area is about 250 miles east of Portland. 
a major city, and just eight miles west of a small town called La Grande, which has a population today of about 12,500 people. This is in Union County, in the eastern part of the state. The campground features 18 campsites, restrooms, and river access. The female body was lying at the bottom of a shale slope near the campground's common area. She had frizzy red hair and was clothed in a brown wool sweater and black jeans. The young woman was identified because found near the body was an olive-colored backpack which contained an ID bearing her name. The backpack was thrown down the embankment as well, just like her body. The victim's name was Kristen Alice Schmidt. She was just 22 years old. An autopsy revealed that she had been strangled. Union County District Attorney Martin Brinbaum said that they were able to determine this because of the subcutaneous bleeding in her eyelids and cheeks. Brinbaum would only say that other parts of her body also bore scrapes, scratches, and bruising. He would not initially comment if Kristen had been sexually assaulted. But by late July, police acknowledged that she had been. Years later, OSP detective Greg Rutherford told the L.A. Grand Observer she had been sexually assaulted and brutally beaten. He also described her body as partially clothed. Now, we know she was found in jeans and a sweater, but what aren't the police saying? What items of clothing were missing that led investigators to describe her as partially clothed? We asked the OSP, the Oregon State Police, and they declined to answer because, of course, Kristen's case is still considered an open and very active investigation. District Attorney Brinbaum said that it appeared that Kristen was strangled elsewhere and dumped where she was eventually found. Brinbaum told the East Oregonian, it does appear that the body was just dumped at Hillgard and that she wasn't killed there. So who was this young woman? And how did she end up at the bottom of a ravine off of an interstate in a place that many might call Nowheresville, Oregon? Kristen Alice Schmidt was born in San Luis Obispo in 1980. So this is her hometown, which would be about 190 miles northwest of L.A. and located on Highway 101 on the California coast. Its population is about 44,000. We really know next to nothing about Kristen. She had been a student at SLO Community School during the 1998-99 academic year. Then she began taking classes at another college in the fall of 1998 and, and last attended during the spring of 2002, during that semester. It's unclear what she did in 2002 and three, but she had applied to take classes again at the community college in the fall of 2003. Kristen was reportedly a good student. Now, the LeGrand Observer newspaper had no luck connecting with her family, and I could not find any interviews with them. But that publication reports that her mom and grandma both lived in San Luis Obispo, and Kristen had been staying at her mom's place before she left town on a trip to visit her long-distance boyfriend. Of course, her mom was heartbroken at the news of her daughter's death. Let's get into the investigation and try to put together some kind of timeline here for our victim. 
The Oregon State Police took control of this investigation. Lead investigator Pat Montgomery headed up a team of nine investigators. This from the OSP, the LeGrand Police, and the Union County Sheriff's Office, all working in unison together on this investigation. Montgomery was quoted in the local news as saying the investigation would be a long and slow process. They were really going to need to try to figure out a key part of Kristen's timeline. That would require investigators to reconstruct Kristen's movements and figure out how she went from San Luis Obispo to a rocky ravine in central Oregon. Well, this case is very difficult because we don't know much about her and then this boyfriend that she was seeing, this long-distance boyfriend, which would be a lot harder to have a long-distance relationship back then because you'd be writing to them and, and long-distance calls cost a lot of money back then, depending on how far away they were. And so we don't even know where this individual was located at. Yeah, again, it just goes back to stating that we don't know much about Kristen's personal life other than her stating to family that she was leaving to visit a long-distance boyfriend. So the police and the investigators from the state police as well as the sheriff's office, what they discovered, they, they discovered and were able to put together that on June 16th, 2003, Kristen left home telling friends and family she was going to Colorado to visit her boyfriend. We don't know whether she was traveling alone, but it seems that she was. It's also not clear what her exact travel plans were or if she was just going to kind of make them up as she went along, hoping to find herself in Colorado. But police discovered she had boarded an Amtrak train in San Luis Obispo and arrived in Portland, Oregon on the same day. This is about a 13-hour drive, so it's a fairly long trip. Kristen reportedly stayed with a friend in Portland for a few days. Now, who this person is or was has never been released. A week after Kristen's body was found, investigators said that it was still unknown whether she was traveling alone. They were working on establishing a timeline of Kristen's movements, and when they did, it would tell them quite a bit. Well, they're going to get some information from some of the campers at this park. Yeah, so where her body is found, these campers, they tell investigators that they were awakened sometime around 3 a.m. by noises that sounded like someone emptying garbage. Now, it's not clear whether this was like metal trash can sounds or... Or Oscar the Grouch talking. Something being dumped or dumpsters being dumped kind of sounds. They don't really go into any real description other than a couple of campers say it sounded like someone was emptying garbage somewhere. But that's an interesting and hopeful lead in their investigation. Now, later, we end up learning that Joan Doan, that's her real name, was sleeping at the campground with her husband, Charles. She says that she had to get up in the middle of the night to use the restroom. This would be about 3 a.m. And she says that she left their trailer around this time. And in the dim light, she says that she saw a big rig, a semi-truck, pulled over on the side of the highway up above. And something that looked like a large bag being thrown out of the truck and down into the ravine. She said that she yelled in this direction. 
but the truck drove off immediately. Joan could not see much in the darkness, and she assumed that someone was dumping garbage down the 50-foot embankment. Now, just to be perfectly clear here, Captain, some of these articles say that this would have been about 3.15 a.m. Joan says that she then went back to her campsite and tossed and turned and had trouble going back to sleep. Well, the sun comes up, and now she's saying around 6 a.m. her curiosity has gotten the best of her. She wants to go out and see what caused that noise waking her up in the middle of the yeah, night. be careful for what you wish for. She walked in the direction of the noise and found the woman's body. So she's the first person to discover Kristen's body. She ran back to her campsite, and her husband called the police. Joan would later describe the body she found as a young woman in her 20s who had clearly been terribly beaten. Well, think about the horror when she finds Kristen's body because they heard these noises at night. If they would have went and investigated more, they could have been face-to-face with the killer or killers. There was little question based on Joan's account that the driver of the 18-wheeler had been the person who dumped Kristen down the embankment from the interstate highway. So if Joan hadn't witnessed this dumping, the nature of Kristen's killer would be entirely theoretical, right? We would may have never come up with this possible lead. But now investigators knew that they should be looking for a trucker and looking for a truck. We've said this several times on this show. Vehicles are easier to find than people in most cases. So I would start by looking for that truck. The ravine where Kristen was dumped was between the campground and the day use area. It's unknown whether the trucker even knew that there was a campground down there. In the dark, it may have just looked like a wooded area with no houses or people around and could have seemed like the perfect place to anonymously dump a corpse and then get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. Initially, investigators were cryptic when speaking with the public, saying that they were looking for a killer within a particular occupation. That's the words they use, particular occupation. They clearly didn't want to show their hand in case the trucker was local or in case someone were to come forward and have that profession. But unfortunately, the pool of truckers using the nation's interstates on any given day numbers in the hundreds of thousands. And investigators learned that any number of truckers could have had access to Kristen. It becomes very difficult where you don't know where Kristen was heading to, what was her destination. Between point A, B, and C, there's so many possibilities of where maybe she would have been abducted. We do learn a little bit more here, though, Captain. So when Kristen left her friends in Portland, she tells them that she was heading to Troutdale to look for a ride. What's what's Troutdale or what's in Troutdale? This is part of the Portland, Oregon metro area. So it's about 15 miles outside of the city, as I understand it. The interesting thing here, as it pertains to our case and our lead that we're currently working on, is there is a huge truck stop in Troutdale that has parking for 250 18 wheelers. This is a location where people can get food. There's a barbershop, a game room, a pet area, and so on. So it's massive. That's what she said. Initial reports said Kristen was last seen hitchhiking 
in Troutdale on the evening of the 25th. Union County DA Burnbaum confirmed that the OSP, they're looking for a suspect among truckers, as they believed Kristen was picked up by a trucker in Troutdale. Years later, it was confirmed by law enforcement that Kristen was actually at the truck stop in Troutdale. So beforehand, we are told that she was seen hitchhiking in the Troutdale area, and then later, as they release more information to the public, we learn that it it was, in fact, at that very large truck stop. I love those super truck stops. They were always my favorite to stop when I was touring around playing with bands. The confirmation we end up with here, Captain, is that Kristen was actually at the truck stop in Troutdale trying to hitchhike a ride or looking for a ride out of there. This would be on the night of June 25th. So she had been seen there and heard, and we'll get into that here in a minute. This is the day before her body was found. Remember, she was found on June 26th. Mm -hmm. This is June 25th. Well, and she wouldn't just be looking for a ride from a truck driver. They also have you know gas pumps and stuff for regular vehicles. This is from investigator Greg Rutherford. He says, quote, she was there trying to pick up a ride as a hitchhiker. She wanted to go to Colorado to see her boyfriend. It turned out that Kristen was known to hitchhike and did not appear to consider the risk that could be involved. It's not a situation I would want to put myself in. Well, and OSP pointed out saying that hitchhiking is not only dangerous, but it's particularly dangerous when it involves truckers. Their words don't come at me. Uh, truckers <laughs> investigators told this to the newspaper saying that she was definitely a victim of her lifestyle saying if you are jumping in with truckers all the time it will eventually catch up with you especially if you are a young single girl and detective randy crutcher who also worked the case for osp said she was the kind of person who wasn't afraid of hitchhiking that is what she did but Kristen wasn't just on the road or on the side of the road at the truck stop sticking her thumb out. Unfortunately, she did something even more dangerous. She was sticking her toe out. She put it out there to the whole trucking community that she was trying to get to Colorado and was looking for a free ride. So she's heard by truckers on a CB radio that day asking for a ride from Troutdale to Colorado. So it wasn't just bad luck for her that a bad guy came along and grabbed the opportunity to give her a ride, secretly intending to assault her. She made a public request over the CB, which vastly expanded the pool of truckers learning about a young woman traveling alone willing to get into a truck for a ride. So ultimately, she broadcast her vulnerability to a wide audience and anyone with nefarious intentions who heard it and who was within a few hours drive could have zoomed over to Troutdale, picked her up. She didn't just fall into his lap. Unfortunately, in this case, our victim jumped into it. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, 
language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. 
Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, everybody. Cheers to you, Captain. Kristen's exact time of death has never been publicly revealed, but here in the garage, we like to figure these things out for ourselves so we can extrapolate that it was sometime between the sighting of her hitchhiking at the truck stop and then 3 a.m. on the 26th. So we're not dealing with a large window of time here. Remember, we have Joan Doan, who is committed to the statement of it was roughly 3 a.m., maybe 3.15 a.m. when I hear the noise and I see something being dumped down into the ravine from this semi-truck. But as far as the super convenience store truck stop, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have, well, we believe she got here at nine in the morning and she left by noon. Those are fictitious times, right? Right. Yeah. We don't have an exact time of when she was sighted. And I believe that police will have a pretty firm idea of what time that would have been because she would have been seen by multiple people. And as we said, heard by dozens over the CB radio. Well, probably there would be some surveillance there as well, but the difficulty like you said, you're putting yourself at extreme risk of danger because you're broadcasting to CB radios. Hey, I'm at this truck stop. So even if it's way out of somebody else's way, uh, way out of a trucker's way, they hear all this young 22 year old needs a ride. I don't even have to be going to Colorado if I'm thinking nefarious thoughts or to Portland or anything. If you can hear that invitation and you're a bad guy, you're somebody that is into this sort of thing. You can make your way to Troutdale and pick her up. Yeah. Especially all you really got to be concerned with is, can I get there faster than the other bad guy? Now, again, I want to, before we go too deep into this, because we're going to get, really deep into these different truckers and serial killers with inside that profession. I want to be clear up front here. We're not saying that truckers in general are bad. In fact, we have a lot of truckers that listen to the show and we're very happy and proud of that now, but just with any profession, there are a small percentage of the people that are bad with inside of that profession. 
Most truckers are great, awesome, nice, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. But it's it just goes to show that it's really no different here, Captain, if she announces over a CB radio for a ride or for a trucker to come pick her up. You announce over that CB radio, anybody that has a CB that can hear that would be a potential suspect that could have come and picked her up. And if we lived in a world where everybody had CBs in their cars, then think of the hundreds and hundreds of people that may have heard her invitation for, hey, I'm seeking a ride. I'm alone. I need to make it out to Colorado. I'm not trying to victim blame here. I'm just pointing out the vulnerability that one may put themselves into and possibly suggest that spend a few bucks and get a bus ticket to where it is that you may need to go. For a lot of these killers, one of the hardest parts is to actually abduct the person to get them into your vehicle so you can take them somewhere else. Kristen's willing to do so. So how will investigators go about finding truckers who were on the road in this region where Kristen was picked up from and found? The SLO Tribune put out an article on September 9th, 2003 that stated, quote, to determine who was on the road when the murder occurred, the investigators said they have been conducting interviews and checking way stations and truckers travel logs. They concentrated on way stations along I-84. But we have to say often when we drive by those way stations, they are closed. Detective Crutcher also said that admittedly some truckers run past a way station, skipping it so the truck would not be on record. But he said that those truckers are usually caught. It's not clear whether there are cameras recording the stations that would show if a truck blew past without stopping or what. In 2003, who knows the likelihood or the probability of that situation. If he's saying that they are usually caught, then there must be some way of checking on this situation. Yeah. The OSP reportedly looked into over 1,000 truckers in the Kristen Schmidt case. These were rigs that had traveled the stretch of I-84 near where Kristen was believed to have been picked up anytime on both June 25th and 26th. 2003. Think about that. 1,000 truckers. And I know that that's a a roundabout number, but they're saying over 1,000 truckers. That is an almost incomprehensible amount of work. If any of them were determined to be potential persons of interest for whatever reason, the investigators would have to track them down and speak with them directly. Which would be very difficult to do because they're not confined to one area. Exactly. Now, Detective Crutcher told the Observer that Kristen's case was the most extensive case he had ever worked on at that time for the OSP in terms of manpower. He felt demoralized that the case was not solved. He says, quote, it is frustrating when you put that much effort into it, you expect it to pay off. But the investigators acknowledged that they were up against a brick wall. Interestingly enough, though, Captain, remember the early statements from investigators that said that they believed that this would be a long, a lengthy investigation into figuring out who killed her. I'm guessing that based off of the sighting of the big rig from our person down below, 
that they're going, well, this very likely could be a stranger on stranger crime. And we know that those, those are the most difficult to investigate. With all these eyewitnesses at the truck stop, nobody sees Kristen get into a vehicle. She's seen hitching a ride. I think that we might have a solved case if we saw her getting into an actual truck Mm -hmm. on that day. Really, when you think about it, though, the sighting of that big rig is huge for a number of reasons. Because if you have a stranger on stranger homicide, we know how difficult those are to investigate how difficult it is to connect killer to victim or victim to killer. Right. But seeing that truck now eliminates a lot of people for you in your investigation. It really brings the number down, the sheer number of people that you're going to have to look into at the initial stages of your investigation. Yeah. This is very difficult for law enforcement. As you pointed out, captain, it would be incredibly wonderful for our investigation if somebody came forward that said they saw her getting into a vehicle or knew more about the vehicle that she got into and from what we've seen and again osp is not super willing to discuss a lot of the details of her case because it is not just open but i'm happy to report i can i believe by their statements that this is a very active investigation they may even be closing in on the individual responsible so based off of what we know it doesn't seem like any of those things happened unless it did and we're just not being told so and like you said her family is devastated by the loss of their loved one but they haven't really come out and did a lot of interviews but maybe they just feel like that wouldn't help much of the situation I don't know that they have a lot of information to provide, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody seems to agree, investigators, her family, the newspapers, and so on, that she had hit the road and was out of state when she was picked up by her killer. The interesting thing to me, though, is what I would really like to know from investigators, and again, they don't need to tell us anything, but I would like to know, has any trucker come forward to say, I was the one that allowed her to use my CB? Because she's not walking up to that Troutdale truck stop with her own CB in hand and making these announcements out to other truckers. That's an excellent point. According to the LeGrand Observer, in October of 2003, news stations in St. Louis Obispo reported that Oregon State Police may be tracing a trucker's possible connection to the death. Now, if we're going to kind of parse out words here and try to figure out what this sentence means, because it's a little vague, my question was, does this mean that they were on to one specific trucker or using the word truckers in generic terms? We just don't know. When you have a case like this where you're basically in the dark, right, as far as the investigation goes, you can only do so much with the, the little information you have. We want to start looking at other cases that are similar to Kristen's case. And there is another case which a body was found in Oregon that mirrored Kristen's case eerily. This is Leah Elizabeth Schuber, age 22. She's last seen at the Gear Jammer truck stop in Idaho on June 9th, 1987. She had been driving through the area when she had car trouble. Later, her nude body was found on June 13th when two motorists stopped to 
take a pee in the woods on the side of Interstate 84. This is just 12 miles east of LaGrande. So we're in the same general area here. The victim that they found, she lay at the bottom of an embankment right off of the highway. She too had been strangled. This from the lawyers update .co.in, which states, quote, the Oregon State Police learned that Leah had left Twin Falls for Boise on June 9th, 1987, to pick up her fiancé from the airport, where he was arriving after flying in from San Diego. But on her way to Boise, her car broke down. So she calls a friend from the Gear Jammer truck stop near Mountain Home, Idaho, along Interstate 84. Then she disappears. So nobody hears from her again, and she was reported missing that same evening. There is a suspect, however, in this case. This is from a, an article from September of 1987. It says, quote, the search for one of the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives ended when authorities discovered the accused killer was already in jail where he was serving time under an alias four months after his arrest for car theft. His real identity was finally discovered when his fingerprints were run against the national database. This suspect is Darren O'Neill. Back then he was 27. He's a native of Albuquerque, New Mexico, facing a murder charge in the torture slaying of a Washington woman and was wanted for questioning in five other killings in the Pacific Northwest. This according to FBI spokesman Cliff Anderson. Well, Neil was charged with first-degree murder in the 1987 case of Robin Smith. He was also wanted for questioning in the disappearance of a 29-year-old woman from Whatcom County, Washington, whose body has never been found. This according to the FBI. He also is charged with car theft in the disappearance of Wendy Agehi, 29 in Washington. She was last seen April 25th, 1987, leaving Bellingham, Washington. This was a restaurant where she spotted leaving with O'Neill, who reportedly was using the alias of Mike Johnson back then. That's why they're not able to connect the dots right away. He's on their 10 most wanted list, yet they find him already in jail four months later. O'Neill also is sought for questioning in the strangulation death of Leah Subert, 22, of Twin Falls, Idaho, who we just discussed earlier. There were some eyewitnesses who reported to have seen a man fitting O'Neill's description near where Leah's car broke down. And then he popped up in Spokane, Washington. But he has never been charged with Leah's murder. He remains in prison for his other crimes and could not have been the trucker who killed Kristen in 2003 since he was in prison at the time. So let me just see if I'm picking up what you're putting down. This guy is a real piece of shit. Yeah, we're not really certain how many murders he is responsible for, but eerily similar to Kristen's case and one worth looking at. So... Since he was in prison, we at the time of Kristen's murder, we know that he didn't he's not responsible for that. But what we're saying is that there's individuals out there like this and they're not just committing one crime, they're committing 
multiple murders, this truck driving serial killer. You know, it's not just a theory that that law enforcement has. These are actual individuals. That's exactly right, Captain. And we referenced Leah's case saying it was eerily similar, but even though he suspected the man that we just mentioned, O'Neill, is suspected in that case, Leah's case is unsolved, eerily similar to Kristen's. It stands to reason that possibly the killers of one of those women are, or one in the, or both of those women are one in the same. I hope everybody out there listening is familiar with the FBI's VICAP program because we talked about it extensively in our recent coverage of the Sam Little murders. And we've talked about it throughout the history of this show because it comes up so often. But a little refresher here, or if you've not listened to the Sam Little episodes, the VICAP program run by the FBI, this is where state and local law enforcement agencies upload specific information about certain kinds of cases in their jurisdiction to the federal database. VICAP is a federal database. These are typically homicides, sexual assaults, missing persons cases, and John and Jane Doe cases. The database allows for searching and comparison of cases. This facilitates the finding of similar crimes, both to help solve serial crimes committed by the same killer and to pinpoint serial offenders based on their patterns and MOs. The FBI's VICAP website contains a page that says, Quote, if there is such a thing as an ideal profession for a serial killer, it may well be as a long haul truck driver. They go on to say the pattern, the website says, is unmistakable. It attracted notice when in 2004, a senior crime analyst from the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation named Terry Turner detected a crime pattern. The bodies of murdered women were being dumped along the Interstate 40 corridor in Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and Mississippi. Turner was investigating seven cases in which truck stop sex workers had been bound, raped, killed, and dumped along I-40. I know all these crimes are taking place out west, but when you look at the Long Island serial killer case, people have had theories that the killer could have been a truck driver. That's exactly right. Now this is from a newspaper called the Oklahoman and it says, quote, in a way the FBI's national highway serial killings initiative originated with an Oklahoma man who needed to take a restroom break. They go on to say on September 18th, 2003, a Tulsa area pharmaceutical salesman was driving East on interstate 40 when his bladder began to get the best of him. Realizing he couldn't make it to the next rest stop, he exited at rural Tiger Mountain Road near Henrietta. At the end of the ramp, dirt roads led off in three directions. The area was isolated and undeveloped. High grass rose around, out of ditches, and something smelled terrible. At first, the salesman didn't recognize the object that he spotted in the ditch, which was about 10 feet away. Later, we're told, quote, she was buck naked and face down, he said. He says, your mind tells you it's a deer, it's a goat, it's anything but a human being. My mind would not even allow me to entertain that as reality until, as I looked at her limbs 
and followed her arm out to one of her hands, I saw a ring on her finger. At that moment, in that second, it was undeniable. And in my mind, finally, I accepted that this was a human, the salesman, whose story was confirmed by law enforcement and who asked that his name not be published. Well, he found the body of 43-year-old Sandra Beard. She was a truck stop sex worker with ties to Oklahoma City. Our investigator, Terry Turner, a crime analyst with the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, sent out a teletype to other agencies looking for similar types of crimes. Within three days, this is when she learned of two women who died similar deaths. Mm -hmm. Beard was the third sex worker to die in a space of just three months. So because of the time and the and the distance, it's very possible it's committed by the same person. Yes, that's exactly right. And the thing too, it's not just you know time and distance, but also the way that the victims are found, the similarities between yeah. the way that they suffered their their violent deaths. This is really truly the genesis of the FBI's Highway Serial Killings Initiative, which is all focused on the occupation of long-haul truck drivers and serial killers working within that profession. Now, back to the cases we were talking about, those sex worker cases from truck stops, all in that three-month time span. Mm-hmm. Well, by January 31st of 2004, four more women were killed. So a task force was formed to investigate the deaths and information about each case was then sent to the FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, or VICAP, as we've been calling it. Well, we have to recognize Terry Turner for putting this all together. Hard work and diligence pieced this together and... I'll read a little something from the uh, about the Oklahoma cases. This is from a 2022 magazine expose that says, when Turner began her investigation in 2003, the murders were seen as one-offs. For instance, there was Vanilla, a 47-year-old sex worker known for her honeyed voice from her advertisements that went out over the CB radio. She was born Margaret Holmes Gardner. She was a West Memphis local. In July 2003, a USPS letter carrier happened upon Vanilla's body in Shearerville, Arkansas, left under an interstate freeway on-ramp. She was discovered 15 miles from the West Memphis Flying J. A month later, the body of 24-year-old sex worker Jennifer Heyman of Oklahoma City turned up in the Tallahatchie River, just past Oxford, Mississippi. Not long after that, another woman with ties to Oklahoma City was found dead. The remains of 43-year-old Sandra Beard, also a sex worker who frequented truck stops, was uncovered alongside I-40 on the eastern end of Oklahoma. Each of the women's bodies showed evidence that their limbs had been bound before they were killed part of the pattern spotted by Terry Turner. Over the next four months, four more women, Vicki Anderson, Sandra Richardson, Patsy Leonard, and Casey Joe Pipestem were found dead. 
From all the evidence, Terry Turner reasoned that the suspect must be a long-haul truck driver. She believed he also wasn't the only truck-driving serial killer operating on America's interstate highways. And they're picking victims that a lot of times their family members don't know their whereabouts, so it's hard to report them missing or to figure out who they're connected to or where they came from. Yeah, and being dumped so far away from where they're being picked up. And something else that's key to this modus operandi of this type of killer, something you had suggested and hit on earlier. These are victims that are willing to get into the vehicle with the would-be killer. They don't have to go too far to look for them or to grab them off of the side of the road. So going back to Kristen's case, though, we we believe that she was badly beaten. She was bound so it's a very good chance that her her killer took her somewhere almost to torture her and then and then dump her out in this in the woods. Possibly what I think happened here captain is a situation where the crime scene we're looking for is this guy's truck. Right. I think whatever happened to her and again we don't have a great description. I I can't say 100% that she was tied up or bound. All I can say is that she was found partially clothed. She was beaten. She was strangled and she was dumped. What he likely thought was out in the middle of nowhere, but it rolled. Unfortunately, the the corpse, when she, or fortunately, I guess, if you want to look at it from a glass half full perspective is fortunately this caused enough noise and her body rolled far enough down this ravine to be discovered a short time later, which then leads us to this breadcrumb trail of, well, maybe Kristen's killer is a truck driver. And we can start there by looking at truck drivers in the area. The whole thing, though, is really interesting to me because she's found in 2003. And it's really in 2004 when this whole long distance truck driver serial killer initiative gets put together. So relatively quickly here, and now we have what's going to start to be detectives, FBI, and people coming together and putting together what will be a list and a map of potential victims that fall within this category that we believe the likely perpetrator to be a long-haul trucker. In a weird way, it's very much similar to what was happening in the Sam Little investigation, where somebody spotted a pattern, decided that it must be a part of a much bigger picture. Now, we need to reach out to everybody out there, cast a wide net, and we need to start to be able to see some of those other pieces of that puzzle, some other pieces of that bigger picture. I mean, it's crazy to think that there's roughly what 4 million active drivers out there active truck drivers and then they think that there could be 300 of them plus that are active serial killers well it's for all those reasons that i just stated there captain and the good work of terry turner along with a colleague from texas that notified vicap and vicap analysts took a look at all of these similar cases on a national level. And they realized that there were hundreds of these types of cases. For that reason, it was in 2004 that the FBI launched 
the Highway Serial Killer Initiative, a separate database, separate from VICAP, to document hundreds of bodies found and sexual assaults occurring on the sides of roadways, near truck stops, and in or near motels along major trucking routes all across the country, and to attempt to track the movements of possible suspects. The FBI notes that the majority of the victims were women living high-risk lifestyles such as drug-addicted transients, sex workers, all who frequented truck stops or gas stations along major highways. The suspects were, naturally, truckers because of where the victims are being picked up. Christine Palazzolo, an FBI crime analyst who worked on the Highway Serial Killer Initiative, also was instrumental in identifying Samuel Little and his victims, is quoted on the website as saying, quote, we had an inordinate number of victims and offenders from this rather specific population pool, obviously referring to sex workers and truckers, respectively. Michael Harrigan, who originally oversaw the Highway Serial Killings Initiative, said in 2009 that the victims were generally drawn from a vulnerable population, saying, quote, we don't want to scare the public and make it seem like every time you stop for gas, you should be looking over your shoulder. Many of these victims made poor choices, but that doesn't mean that they deserve to die, end quote. So much more to get to, and we'll get to that tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.